welcome to the One O'ahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, November 23rd, 2023, Thanksgiving Day. And I'm especially thankful for this week's guest, Nate Sirota, from the Department of Parks and Recreation. And if you recognize that name, that's because whenever there's anything parks in the news, right? Sandy Beach, if you have turtles there, a new dog park, maybe some camping announcements. You're the one that we see doing interviews on the news at night or even morning show live shots. You're the guy for everything parks. So Nate, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm thankful for being here. Thanks for hosting. And Nate, we thought it was appropriate to get you on because it's that time of the year. We're getting ready for Kapolei City Lights. So what day is that happening on this year? And can you tell us what folks can expect? So it starts with our opening night festivities on Saturday, December 9th. Uh, it kicks off at 5 o'clock with our block party. That's going to be the streets around uh, Kapolei Halle. And then we're going to have the festival parade that goes down Kapolei Parkway starting at 6 o'clock. It's going to go from Kapolei High School all the way down Kapolei Parkway and finish just past Kapolei Halle. So that opening night festivity is going to be a really good time. We're going to have the tree lighting ceremony as well, lots of live entertainment, lots of good local food vendors. It's going to be a fantastic time. And you mentioned the tree lighting. So this year, where did that tree come from? It came from Maka'unulau Park in Mililani. So we just harvested it earlier this week, uh, thanks to our Division of Urban Forestry and a bunch of other right. city departments. Yeah. For, it's a huge effort. You yeah. know, it, they have to not only survey it ahead of time, find a tree that's suitable, that looks good, mm -hmm. um, that we can access as well too. Um, but then they have to harvest it, transport it with the help of a HBD motorcade, mm -hmm. and then get it down to Kapolei Hale. Uh, we installed it actually already on Wednesday, and we're gonna be lighting it on that opening night festivity on December 9th. Right on. And you know, something that kind of caught my eye, how did you come up with the theme for this year, West Side Wonderland? So, you know, Kapolei City Lights is really, we try to incorporate the more country areas of the island that maybe aren't represented with Honolulu City Lights. Right. And so we try to incorporate a theme um, that is, you know, indicative of Kapolei, Ewa, Waipahu, the Leeward Coast. Mm -hmm. And so we try to get a unique theme every year. And so West Side L Wonderland just stuck out to us. And so you'll see a lot of the decorations inside and outside the holly representing a lot of the things west side so you've got some sugar cane you've got the choo-choo train you've oh, got cool. you know the eva train and yeah. also uh with heart rail as well um, but it's going to be very similar inside the holiday to what you're going to see at honolulu holiday where we have departmental trees mm -hmm. a lot of really good um, trees that are going to be coming up from us from the mayor's office of culture and the arts from environmental services a lot of community groups as well too we're really proud to have the y9 neighborhood board oh, wow. is going to be doing a tree uh, we got some representation of some local schools there as well yeah. so it's really a, an awesome effort not just you know city organizations uh, but state as well and local community groups and can you tell us about the bands, the vendors, and probably the thing I'm most interested in, the food that's going to be there at Kapolei City Lights? Sure. So live music, we got three different local bands. we got the Kalana Vinoya duo starting things off at 5 o'clock for the block party, followed by Nijin 9. They're going to be at 6.30. And then that's going to trail into the lighting ceremony at 7 o'clock. And so at 7.15, Nijin 9 is going to kick off again. And then we're wrapping it up with AJ Keola Nui band at 8 o'clock. Uh, the whole block party is going to be MC seed by Council member Augie Toba, he did Augie it last year. He did yeah. such a good job. <laughs> um, but he's going to do the first half, and then we also have comedian Ronnie Villanueva, who's going to take oh, the right second on. half. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be not just good live music, but great local comedians, great local representation. Uh, the decorations themselves, they're going to be lit up uh, with the tree. Uh, actually, the, the decorations will be lit up before that, but the tree will be lit at 7 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And then you have the whole month of December all the way through January 2nd to enjoy the decorations if you can't make it out to that block party. Okay, and what are the hours that sure. people can so, come check it out? 
Uh, so it's going to be open available Monday through Thursday from 7.30 a.m. to 8 p.m. And then Friday through Sunday and on holidays from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Okay. So going to be open pretty much every day from December 9th through January 2nd. And then you mentioned the parade. So on opening night, if folks want to um, get a closer look at the floats, I know last year they were kind of available for a little bit afterwards at the end of the parade route. Can folks go to the end of the route and see if they want to get a closer look at the floats. Absolutely, yeah. So that's one of the good things that we're going to be doing this year. We have a staging area right after the parade is done on Alohikea uh, Street. Okay. Uh, pardon me for that. And so uh, not going to be all the floats, but just going to be a few select ones that they're going to put along that block party route. So even if you can't do the parade, and that's one of the tough things, right? We've got all these great things happening at the block party, but then the parade is kind of right in the middle of it. Yeah. So you can kind of split your time between the two of them, and really you can still catch the, the parade little bit of it and make it back in time in the block party uh, to see the tree lighting ceremony with uh, Mayor Blangiardi and his cabinet. And so we know that Honolulu City Lights has the friends of Honolulu City Lights, but for Kapolei City Lights that you work on, when do you guys start this? What kind of help do you get and really what goes into making this possible? So we, we were lucky in that we have a lot of community groups that are involved in it and really they're has been so much enthusiasm from the community. That's why one of our first announcements, we had applications for the food vendors mm -hmm. that are gonna be coming because we knew there was gonna be so much interest from the community, from the local merchants who wanted to participate in it. So we wanted to have that early on so we could organize it. It was really this, this summer, um, really once summer fun wrapped up, a lot of our recreation staff started focusing on Kapolei City Lights um, because we knew that we were gonna have a lot to deal with with the block party, with the parade, with making the decorations sustainable through the whole month of December. Um, so it's really been an all hands on deck effort from every division within our department, but then also the community has been a huge support. Um, really encouraged to see a lot of them participating with decorations, with the block party, with the parade. So you're going to see a really good representation of this side of the island uh, with that opening night festivities on December 9th. And you know, this is just one of the things that I know that you're working on right now. Mm -hmm. um, like I mentioned, you know, you're you're so high touch with everything that goes on in your department. So I want to get to one of the stories that we saw recently on the news, Sandy Beach. Um, lights were back on there. Can you talk about that? Sure. So we've been working with uh, some conservationists with the federal government and the state government uh, to see what we can do to adjust our lighting situation, particularly on the Windward Coast, um, that's affecting not just the whole new nesting areas, but also seabird. Um, so lights can impact them when they're young. So when seabirds are fledging, uh, when they're f going out for the first time, they're attracted by the light and they can get exhausted by it. And it and ha what happens is it um, exhausts them and they can fall from the um, sky. It's called fallout. And then they um, are less or more prone to predation. Mm. Uh, and so with turtles as well too, as soon as they emerge from their nests under the sand, uh, they go towards the ocean and they're normally led by the moonlight. Right. So lights that are behind them, artificial lights can distract them and lead them astray, lead them away from the ocean where they should be going. So when we found out about these nests, um, I think it was about six nests over at Sandy Beach Park, really across the whole Vavamalu area there. Uh, we worked with the um, uh, federal biologist, uh, Sheldon Plantovich was one of the, the leading conservationists there uh, to see if we could turn off those lights for an amount of time mm -hmm. uh, so that they could 
make their safe transition from their nests to the ocean. And so they confirmed with us earlier this month uh, in November um, that all the nests had hatched, but we wanted to keep the lights off for a little bit longer um, because there was a new moon cycle in the middle of the month. So we wanted to keep it off for that uh, to allow the, uh, the shearwaters and some of the other birds uh, to have safe passage. And we're still working with them because we have a lot of light renovations that we're doing through our um, Noresco uh, energy efficiency project. So we want to make sure that those LED lights are not only good for recreation mm -hmm. purposes, but good for our um, the wildlife that inhabit these areas. So a, a lot of ongoing discussions on how we can continue to not only serve the public, but serve the environment as well. I like that you mentioned improvement projects, a pretty exciting announcement um, that you guys got to make and that you guys worked on in-house was over at Mo'ili'ili Park. Mm -hmm. um, is that back open? I know that during the month of October, Correct. There was yeah. some work. It opened at the beginning of November. Okay. Uh, and so we're starting to get more of the permit activities there again. Um, we had a, a little bit of vandalism inside the, the comfort station, unfortunately, where a, a sink had gotten smashed, but we're able to replace it. So it's it's a part of, of park maintenance is dealing with vandalism. So, um, you know, the best way to combat that really is to have people using these facilities. You know, if you guys are interested uh, in using Mo'ili'ili Neighborhood Park, it's got two good backstops, two good ball fields. Um, if people are interested in that, please let us know. Um, the more positive activation we can get there, the less likely things are going to get damaged. Yeah, I imagine that comes with this job, right? I mean, there's, parks are vandalized, I feel like, so often here in the city and county of Honolulu. Or maybe someone has a complaint about, you know, the lights aren't going on at this court. Or even like a tree on my street needs to be pruned. So mm -hmm. what kind of issues do you hear most? And for those listening... How can they kind of, you know, voice their concerns or if there's something that they see in their neighborhood? Sure. So the, the main thing is just using the parks, really. Uh, as I mentioned, positive activation, getting out there, using them for the proper purposes, being our eyes and ears out there. You know, um, us ourselves, our park staff and Honolulu Police Department can't be everywhere all at once. So if you see something, say something. Let us know about it. Um, but then also be patient as well, too. In a lot of situations, what happens is we'll fix something and then something may happen a little bit while afterwards. So it'll take some time, maybe to get back there and repair it so we're really we try to prioritize our repairs based off of the impact to the public so if there's mm -hmm. a vandalism or a, you know a water main break or something like that that's closing a facility we want to get to that first because we want to first make our park facilities as open and available and as functional as possible so we have to you know we've got 402 designated park locations wow. across the island and that that includes we manage 89 beach right-of-ways and seven pedestrian malls as well so in, that's included in that number so 306 actual like physical park locations as well so that's quite a bit when you're looking at you know around the entire island of Oahu uh, so we really rely on the public to let us know when things are happening um, if you're interested in volunteering as well too we've done a really good job of revitalizing our adopt a park program and getting more emphasis on empowering our volunteers to help us with the maintenance of these park facilities um, so there our adopt a park website I believe is bit.ly slash Oahu volunteers uh, please check that out look to see what can be done and you really don't even have to do a formal adopt a park agreement just simply picking up trash whenever you see it at a park or you know uh, maintaining things helping us out every little bit helps so what was that number 402 402 designated park locations. So does that include like botanical gardens, like the Cocoa Head sh Shooting Complex? Correct, and, yeah. Wow. Han Hanalmo Bay, yeah. Cocoa Head Shooting Complex, our five botanical gardens. Everything from big parks like Kapi'olani Park and Patsy Mink Central Oahu Regional Park to tiny little parks like Wilder Avenue Mini Park is a fraction of an acre. Um, Pohakopu Mini Park over in Kaneohe is, is maybe about an acre or so. So um, everything in between there. So out of all of those 400 plus, which is your favorite space? 
You know, one of my favorite beaches, <laughs> Makapu'u Beach Park. I'm a I'm a, bo- I'm a body surfer and a body boarder. Okay. Um, that's really a, g- a great spot for that. And it's just it's beautiful over there too. Um, you, the the mountains right behind it. Um, you've got paragliders that jump off there as well too. So you've got that that spectacle, and it's always just and it's dynamic too. That beach is always changing because it gets kind of that confluence of currents. Um, so it really keeps you on your toes. So from from a surfing standpoint and just a, a natural beauty standpoint, that side of the island has a special place for me. And then if you keep driving around the bend, some good news for trap and skeet shooters recently. Can you talk about that? Sure, yeah. So we've been reopening some of the ranges at the Cocoa Head Shooting Complex as we've been finishing some testing and some renovations there. Uh, so the trap and skeet ranges at the shooting complex opened up earlier this month. Uh, they've been closed for a while. It was September 2022 um, that everything closed when we had some employees that tested with elevated lead levels. Uh, and so we used that opportunity, this closure, to really look at not just the maintenance procedures and the you know, the, the backlog of deferred maintenance that we had at the complex, um, but also at the protocols that we had for safety, uh, the protocols that we had for making sure that the lead that was generated on that shooting range uh, was kept on site and that we were doing our best to keep it there and to, you know, keep uh, the uh, the shooters from taking it off site. Uh, and then also really just to look at our operations overall uh, to see how we can improve them. And so one thing um, that's good to get out there is we're still looking for a full-time range attendant. Um, and so, and also part-timers, I, th- I think our part-timer staff is doing okay, um, but really that, that full-time range attendant position is gonna help us get back to the normal staffing levels and help them make that facility a little bit more available. Because right now we only have uh, all the ranges, um, are a couple of them are still closed. The pistol rifle ranges are only open on the weekends mm-hmm. and prior to the closure in September 2022 uh, they were open on weekdays uh, Wednesday Thursday and Friday and so we really want to get back to yeah. having that availability being open uh, during those weekday opportunities uh, but staffing is the primary issue so if anyone knows anyone who's interested in these positions uh, Cocoa Head District Park staff are the ones who are um, filling the void actually we're taking recreation staff from Cocoa Head District Park and from the District 1 area to help on the weekends while we don't have that full-time staff member so we'd really like to to get someone in that position at Cocoa Head Shooting Complex so that we can get those recreation staff back to their normal duties. So give uh, the staff over at Cocoa Head District Park a call if you know anyone who's interested in, in working that position. If you're a gun enthusiast, it's probably one of the best jobs on the island. You know, you're not only um, talking story with gun enthusiasts, but you're really providing a safe place for people to exercise their Second Amendment right. And we really want to make sure that Cocoa Head Shooting Complex, that the operations that we've put in place and the maintenance that we've done can sustain it into the future because we really want to try and avoid these kind of closures again. Because uh, what we saw how much of an impact it was uh, to the firearms community when it was closed for such a long time. What work is left to be done there? So actually, I believe it's next week, we're gonna be doing some berm work on the uh, Hanama Bay side inside the crater. So that's the south side. Um, So a lot of the work is gonna be done at one of the really popular range is the Cowboy Action Range, um, which a lot of uh, firearms enthusiasts use for like concealed carry permits and training along those lines. Mm-hmm. So we're working with the Honolulu Police Department because they help operate that range to do some maintenance on that south side. So as you're driving into the shooting complex, it's the left side. So that's the Trap and Skeet are the two ranges on the furthest end. Uh, the Cowboy Action one is uh, closer to the entrance. We're working to get that open next. And then we're also working to get that Silhouette Range open as well too. Um, but we're working with the Department the State Department of Public Safety Mm. uh, because they previously used that range as well too. So it's just a matter of, you know, getting some of the maintenance done, getting some of the protocols in place as well too for these gun clubs and other departments that help to operate these ranges. Nate, how long have you been with the city? Seven years. 
And for those who aren't familiar, where were you before this? I was at KITV with you, actually. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so what brought you to the city? What is it? What is it that keeps you here? Because you're passionate about a lot of the things that, even if it is complaints, mm -hmm. you're passionate about a lot of things that you've talked about so far. What, where does that come from? So I got into journalism because I wanted to help to keep my community informed, to get the right information out, and to keep you know everyone in the know with accurate information about what's going on because it's my belief that the best decisions are made with a cool level head and with the right information at your fingertips. And so that's why I got into journalism. I was really lucky. I uh, went to University of Hawaii Manoa journalism program, graduated from there. I was actually hired up at KITV when, in my senior year of college there and then worked there for 10 years. We pretty much did every job in the newsroom except for anchoring. Um, and then this position opened up at Parks and Recreation and it was just such a great opportunity to have a direct impact on on benefiting my community because with journalism you know you're informing the community you're hoping that the information you put out there and the and the stories that you bring to light have a positive impact and really inform and and motivate people to that positive change but working for the city you have that direct impact you're you're working with people you're getting the information out from the departments to the people uh, engaging uh, with the information and also um, identifying problems as they come up you know we're human beings, we're gonna make mistakes. It's not whether those happen, it's how we address them and how we are transparent and identify and, and converse about them that's important. So that's what I try to instill with my department, with the whole city. Um, and so when this opportunity came up, it was it was a golden uh, chance for me to really have as much, a much more profound impact on, on the community, on this island that I love. You know, I like that you said that about kind of um, helping, you know, the information piece is really important. And something that may have been I guess misunderstood early on um, was the low flow showers at Kaimana Beach. Mm -hmm. For those that aren't familiar with something like that design for low flow, if you can kind of explain the purpose of that and why it is that way. Sure, so we have had a really good partnership with the Honolulu Board of Water Supply. Um, when the Red Hill Field Crisis happened, they had that 10% of voluntary water reduction call okay. out to the entire community, and we took that really to heart. And so we looked at what are some ways that we can reduce our water usage. And so we cut back on some irrigation. Uh, we turned off our decorative fountains during the majority mm -hmm. of the time they're running. And then we started looking at our beach showers and our uh, water fixtures and how we can make them more uh, sustainable and consume less water. Because uh, in a lot of cases, they're free flow uh, where you turn off and turn off the nozzle. And some people, oddly enough, were leaving the water on. You know, unfortunately, we saw it a lot in Waikiki. People were just would leave the water on the showers. And it was really perplexing because you don't do that in your shower at home. So why would you do it on a beach shower in a public park? Um, so one of the things that we've been doing as the, the that energy efficiency project that I mentioned with Noresco is uh, retrofitting or uh, changing out some of the free flow showers to these time beach showers. So what a lot of people may not understand is they're timed and they're low flow so they are designed to have that low water pressure you can activate it as many times as you want um, but messing with the handle or trying to get inside you, you won't actually be able to adjust the pressure it's, mm -hmm. it's a set amount of water that's going to come out um, and so we've had some people try to you know tweak the handles and things like that to make it more have more water come out and that won't happen so you know just be patient use the you know you can activate the the water as much as you want um, i think most of them are set for about 40 45 second runtime um, so we really we, we took it to heart again when bws had that call for water reduction across the island and um, we did an analysis of our water bill from before that call came out to uh, afterwards and we actually exceeded that 10 percent we had about a little over 15 percent water reduction in the six month period comparable to before 
for it. And we're really proud of that. It's one of those things where we, we were not only proud of the that having that that stat to rely on, but also pushing forward. We want to continue to be able to sustainably use our water resources um, and to make sure that it's, you know, these kind of facilities are maintained and that we have enough value. I mean, there's there's no substitution for fresh water. So we're very Akamai to that and, you know, want to help out our fellow agencies and the rest of our island and the resources as much as possible. Uh, one of the other 50 reasons why it was timely to get you on, uh, we recently celebrated the Mayor's Arbor Day ceremony. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can talk about that ceremony, it was, it was very special this year, um, and just how that kind of compared to years past. Sure, it was, um, to be honest, the, I've been to, I think, about six of them. The first year I was, I, I got hired right after, or right before, and I wasn't mm -hmm. part of it. But that was, hands down, the biggest and probably the most spirited Arbor Day ceremony that we had. Uh, Kahuku, thank you for hosting us. Red Raider Nation, you folks were awesome. Um, it was really because the, the community just jumped on it. Mm -hmm. um, the school, they brought the Kahuku Elementary School, they brought their whole school out there. Normally, it's just one class um, that comes out there, but they brought all of them out there. Each grade took ownership over one of the trees. They named the trees. So they have this really this great sense of pride and ownership over these trees, So, mm -hmm. which is really what we want. We want people to have the sense of belonging in the parks and the sense of feeling that these are your parks, these are my parks, your parks, all the whole community's parks. They belong to all of us. So if everyone has that sense of, you know, that we take care of everything together, you know, many hands working together make for light work, then they're, they're going to last longer and they're going to benefit future generations and they're going to be uh, more available for everyone to use. So getting as many hands involved in that planting process was just a fantastic opportunity. We actually, the, the community was so gung-ho about this event, we actually had to, to dial them back a little bit. Mm -hmm. They wanted to have it, like a huge stage. They wanted to have a bunch of stuff um, for this event. We're like, hey, you know, we want to keep it in a little more community. Uh, Jack Johnson came out, which was fantastic. He, uh, Kokua Foundation is a great nonprofit. Um, that him and his wife work on. Uh, Sustainable Coastlines came out there as well, too. Um, so really, it was a great gathering of a lot of these different organizations, the, the schools, um, to plant these trees. And, and we actually, um, just a couple days later, had a really good announcement um, from mayor's office about the, the progress on the efforts to uh, build a recreation center and a pool up there. So what many people may not know is actually this tree planting, the Arbor Day ceremony, and the pool and gymnasium project, um, they'd been a long time coming. There's the Kuhuku Community Association. A lot of people there have been wanting this for a while, but then they really brought it to our attention during one of mayor's town hall meetings. I believe it was the April 20th one in, in Laie. And so it was from that town hall meeting where we really saw how much of a want and a need this was for the community. So yeah. we jumped on it and it was really, it was a great week of news for Kahuku because we were able to have that tree planting ceremony and then give the good news about the progress of the money going towards the planning and design for the, uh, the new pool and recreation center there. Yeah, that is awesome. That, uh, great news for, for Kahuku. Um, and tailing on that, Nate, it, it is Thanksgiving Day. So what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for this community. I mean, I, I moved to Oahu uh, when I, for college at University of Hawaii. Uh, my folks live over on Kauai. I'm actually going to be there. Uh, I'm going to be on Kauai for Thanksgiving, uh, having some turkey with them and, and, and uh, enjoying it with the Ohana there. But thankful for my family over there. Thankful that they're so close. Um, thankful for this community here. Um, you know, it's Hawaii is a really special place um, in that it's 
you get the island feel uh, that it's a small community, but then you also have, it's, it's a big city as well too, right? So you have kind of that beautiful mix of country and city where we have this innovation, we have all these new ideas, this, this confluence of cultures and ideas coming in, um, but then also this really small town mentality of, you know, respect your neighbors, do unto others what you would have them do unto you, um, because it's, it'll come back around, right? You know, I've been here for 18 years, and really after a couple years here, you get that two degrees of separation, right? Where as soon as you meet someone, you'll guarantee you know someone else that they know, mm -hmm. they, they went to school with someone else, someone's auntie, someone's cousin. So that, that really sense of community and connectedness is something that I'm really grateful for. Um, and also just good health. I mean, this is beautiful, one of the most beautiful places on earth. Every time I travel, I come back here, I have a newfound appreciation for for Hawaii. Uh, so it's in this kind of environment really is conducive to having a, a healthy lifestyle. Um, so really grateful. Um, that's with, you know, without good health, nothing else is important. So um, having that, that good health and um, people that um, support that kind of active and healthy lifestyle. Well said. Um, some people that do support that is a division in your department that I don't think gets enough love or that maybe people don't know about. And that's the division of urban forestry. Mm -hmm. um, for those that aren't familiar, can you can you share what they're responsible for? Sure, so we have three divisions within the department. Urban forestry is a pretty, it's a, our second biggest one. Mm -hmm. the, the biggest one is our park maintenance and recreation services. So that's literally maintenance for all those 306 park, um, well, 301 without the five botanical gardens. Um, and they do the maintenance as well to our specialized maintenance staff. But urban forestry is our arborists. Basically, it's all the people, it's the tree people. It's the people who look after the uh, 250,000 street and city trees, uh, street and park trees. 250,000. Um, 250,000. And actually, one of the things that they're working on, they're working on a, a digital inventory of the parks. So because we, we really we want a specific number. So 250,000 is an estimate because we really want to have a, a digital maintenance of these facilities so we can, of the trees, so that we can, you know, maintain them on a more regular basis. Um, but there are arborists. There are the propagators at our botanical gardens. Uh, they're the horticulturists. Culturists. Um, they also have their recreation staff as well, too, where they have camping out at Ho'omalahia. Um, they do classes um, at Coco. Crater has a couple classes. Mm -hmm. Foster Botanical Garden has a couple classes. And Hope Malahia has recreation programming and Wahiwa Botanical as well. Uh, so they really, they're a, a great microcosm of the part of the Parks and Ma Maintenance and Recreation Services because they do all those recreation programs as well too. But um, they're really, really dedicated people over at our Division of Urban Forestry that are working to not just maintain the inventory of trees that we have, that 250,000, uh, but to grow it as well too. Mm -hmm. um, because you know many people don't realize trees are actually one of the best things that we can do to offset the impacts of climate change and it's one of the few pieces of infrastructure that actually gains value over time as trees grow they create more shade more benefits to us um, it, other infrastructure as soon as you build a new building it's you have to do maintenance on it for trees you just you water them and when they get to a certain point um, they can you know survive off the natural water source and you just got to trim them and maintain them so um, we really uh, are lucky as well too to have a community that's really um, supportive of growing our urban forests that understands the challenges that we're facing in the future with climate change. Um, fortunate to have the Office of Climate Change as well too um, that helps us with the policies and with the data on how to best mitigate the impacts that we're going to be seeing more and more down the road. Um, but it starts with having a, a robust and and healthy urban forest and, and our arborists over at Division of Urban Forestry are, are the folks, the, the men and women who are uh, tasked with doing that and they do a, a fantastic job. So you mentioned, you know, kind of when they take inventory, is it just the number of trees in the, the city 
you know, that's in our kuleano, or is it like the kind of tree? If it's a native tree, how old it is? You know, like is it is it like that as well? Yeah. So there's actually a, a, a volunteer program going on right now with the state called Kaulu Nani, where they're actually going and mapping out the trees in certain areas. So I think there's actually certain neighborhoods. I think like Kailua and Manoa, certain areas where they've already mapped out all the trees. Where they and it's not just they look at the height, they look at the diameter of the oh, tree, wow. what kind of tree it is. Yeah. Um, you know, potentially how old, hopefully we have the age of it. Mm-hmm. So we we really want a catalog of all that information, um, so that we know it. And a lot of it is too is maintenance right we want to know how often we need to trim it uh, when was the last maintenance that was done mm-hmm. on it if there was any uh, branch failures from that tree when would that that last happen yeah. so it's really trying to utilize technology to help uh, us manage our natural environment how has the uh, coconut rhinoceros beetle changed kind of their scope of work within the last few years? That's been a really, really challenging one because it's been really sad to see its impact. Um, you know, unfortunately, the, the mitigation efforts um, have not been terribly successful. It's been it's it's really spreading around the island. Um, right, the not le- just for the city, but not just for yeah. the city. I mean, they're starting to see it in the other islands as well, too. Yeah. Um, but the Leeward Coast, um, it really started um, the, the genesis with the first sightings, I believe, were kind of around Hickam Air Force Base around Pearl Harbor. Um, and then they would just see pockets of it in different places throughout the years. But now it's becoming a much, much bigger issue. And people are luckily are getting more educated on it um, to know, you know, how to identify when a tree is infested with coconut rhinoceros beetle. Um, and so one of the things that I want to try and work on with urban forestry is to get in with the Department of Ag and the Invasive Species Council to try and get more information on how people can identify uh, these coconut palms and people that and the mm-hmm. trees that are affected. Um, but we're actually right now what we're doing is we're trying different techniques to both um, treat trees that are infested with coconut rhinoceros beetle and to also keep it from spreading if it's in one tree in a park from other locations. So um, it could be a variety of uh, basil oil has been something that I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nets potentially that could go around trees that are a lo- little lower to the ground. Um, but all of them have their drawbacks uh, in that they may be time intensive, they may be expensive, uh, they may be uh, labor intensive. So mm-hmm. trying to find uh, different ways to mitigate the impacts because, uh, you know, the coconut palms are not just, you know, a great resource environmentally, but they're huge huge when it comes to cultural impact and the significance of the coconut tree. Um, a lot of people don't know actually the, the biggest um, swath of or the most amount of coconut palms that we have is actually in the south shore waikiki area actually has um i believe about 25 percent of our coconut palms in the inventory and i think we've got about um 7500 or so uh, palm trees in our inventory and so one of the things that we're looking at is really hopefully trying to keep as many areas that aren't affected from being infested with coconut rhinoceros beetle um, but that comes with identifying them as soon as possible it sounds a little crazy to say out loud because it's only November, but this is about the time of year that you guys start getting ready for the lay court? Yes. <laughs> yes. We're, we're always planning ahead. So yeah. November as well, too. I, 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 we're talking about urban forestry. If you're going to be planting a tree, November is the best time to plant a tree. It's the beginning of our rainy season. You plant a tree, less like now less likely that you'll have to do watering. Really the first year, mm-hmm. year and a half of planting a tree is really critical to getting those roots established in that new location. And so having that consistent watering cycle is really important. So if you're gonna be planting a tree, November or December are really the great months. That's why we always do Arbor Day ceremony in November. November is Arbor Month in Hawaii, mm-hmm. whereas opposed to the, the continental US, I believe April is 
typically the arbor month that's the best time for them to plant um, but for us we're always planning ahead you know so lay day uh, is going to be may 1st every year <laughs> yep. uh, we have our lay court selection is going to be march 2nd coming up uh, next year and in 2024 this year the age group is the youth opo and so we're looking for um uh applicants ages 18 to 30 years old men and women uh, so we had our first lay king uh, unfortunately it was during the pandemic so he didn't get a, uh, a traditional lay day celebration uh, but we did a virtual one uh, we're looking to keep going you know traditionally it's been women uh, wahine and the, the lay court but we welcome uh, kane and wahine um, of uh, the youth group for this year uh, applications are going to be due i believe right at the beginning of january we're going to be putting out an announcement about it on our social media and through a news release um, um, so stay tuned for that. Really, I, I encourage everyone, you know, as we mentioned earlier, things that you can do in your park to benefit it, you know, small things, volunteering, but also staying tuned, staying informed. So our, our social media, anytime there's a big announcement, I'm posting that on our social media. So that's a great way to be engaged. Um, just follow us on all the, uh, all the platforms, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Nextdoor, we're really active as well too. Um, look for the events that we post on um, Nextdoor and Facebook. Just, uh, you know, Get involved. Get out there. Enjoy your parks. It can be casual going out there, um, playing pickleball, one of the fastest growing sports in the nation. Uh, it could be surfing from uh, Alamona Regional Park, or it could be, you know, really getting involved with volunteer efforts or engaging with us on social media. Nate, you've done so well up until this point, but this might be the breaker for some of our listeners. So what is it for you, tennis or pickleball? I definitely want to play more pickleball in the future, but I'm still better at tennis. It's one of those, that's the paradox, right? Like you always want to be comfortable in your own skin, but you want to push yourself a little bit more. So I know I'm good at tennis. And so that's like my comfort area, but I want to learn get more. Out of that zone. I got to get out of that zone and push myself and try pickleball more. Uh, Cause we are, we're adding more pickleball facilities. Um, I think Kailua district Park's going to be the, the next one. I think uh, next month, actually, we're looking to convert the Biddy basketball court to three pickleball courts dedicated pickleball courts at Kailua District Park. Uh, earlier this year, I believe it was in May, we opened up that first uh, pickleball complex over at Ke'ehi Lagoon, yeah. and that thing is just so popular. Yeah. Um, and it was welcomed so well. Uh, we were able to make a couple of improvements to improve the gameplay there, but we really wanted to just get that facility open um, and have that be available to the public because we recognize how much of a demand there are for these courts. So little by little, I think I'll get um, comfortable on the pickleball courts, um, but but for right now, it's I'm a tennis guy. All right. Yeah. One improvement. You could put some backstops at the end so that the courts don't bleed into another. But anyway, yes. something else. K that we <laughs> we're, we're, we're working on that something one. That else. was one of the criticisms we got when we opened it you know, uh, this another, summer. And another question we got, too, during the town hall tour was, where is the next dog park going to be? You mentioned you have a dog. Yes. So there's actually, we're, we're more, uh, pardon me, we've been working with uh, council member Kia Aina. Uh, there's a dog park that should be opening up soon at Kaneohe, uh, by the golf course, Kaneohe Bayview. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but that's, hopefully we're gonna get that one open soon. We're working with a couple other council members, I believe Cordero and Dos Santos Tom at some potential dog parks in Iaea and Salt yeah. Lake. Um, so, you know, it's, walking your dog through a park is a legitimate use and that's really what we wanna see. We just want, you know, obviously people do your responsible pet owners, pick up after your dog, Dog, have them on a leash you know understand your dog and their characteristics um, mm -hmm. and what their triggers may be um, when you take them to uh, public areas um, but that's a, a great way to enjoy our parks is to walk your dog through them so we want to try and create more off-leash dog parks as well um, to you know encourage that population that demographic to use our parks couple city lights trap and skeet coconut rhinoceros beetle pickleball nate is there anything we missed <laughs> 
that I mean, that's quite a lot. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else coming up. I mean, you, you did a good job. You touched base on, on all the topics. I mean, that just shows how diverse our department is. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, we're actually going to be working um, with the, the Lions Club has been doing an excellent job working with Ocean Safety. They've been installing rescue tubes at some okay. beach park locations. We've been getting a lot of questions about that. So we'll be having an announcement about that. But if you see those yellow rescue tubes, um, those are uh, a part of a city project, a partnership we have with the Lions Club to get more of those available at our beach park locations. We'll have an announcement about that probably um, in the beginning of January. Um, but rest assured, those are um, that's a, that is something that we are working on and that we want to let people know about. And one thing that we'll try and do is incorporate that into um, we have a really good system of online maps so we've been mm -hmm. uh, creating Google Maps of some of our facilities we had one we announced uh, earlier this year with our playground swing sets um, uh, our ADA accessible uh, beach mats uh, and the beach wheelchairs and also the lifeguard stations and so we want to put the locations of these uh, inf these flotation devices on that map as well too so that'll be part of um, the announcement going ahead in the future so you know we touch base you know Parks are uh, such an integral part of everyone's life. Everybody uses them. And there's, you know, uh, so many positive events that happen in there. We really want to encourage that and, and facilitate that and to also create more of our own. Um, so the best thing you can do, help us take our, care of our parks. If you pick up some trash every now and then, let us know if there's an issue with them. Um, and then also just be engaged with our, our parks programs, uh, with our social media and with your, your communities as well. All right, so yeah, so stay tuned. A lot coming out from the Department of Parks and Recreation. But of course, the big event, December 9th. Correct. De City Lights. December 9th, from starting at 5 o'clock, so from 5 to 9 is going to be the block party. Again, three live acts. The tree lighting ceremony is going to be at 7. Parade begins at 6 o'clock, primarily going down Kapolei Parkway. Going to have a big announcement about it, uh, all these details uh, coming out uh, uh, on Wednesday. So um, I think it's bit.ly uh, forward slash um, uh, Kapolei City Lights is our website. We'll have all those details on there because we want to give as much information so people can plan that event because uh, so, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Well, Nate, thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Brandy. And thank you for listening. If you have a question for Nate, the Parks Department, Mayor Rick Blangiardi, or anyone here in the city and county of Honolulu, you can send your podcast questions in by heading to oneoahu.org slash podcast. And until next time, Aloha.